invite you to take your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 6. We're starting a new series, and it's going to be a little different because uh, our text is both familiar, and it's also one that's we're going to be taking it in very small chunks, and so you're going to hear the same text read each week, actually. Otherwise, our scripture reading would be very, very brief this morning. So Matthew chapter 6, looking at verses 9 to 13. And if you don't have a Bible with you, you can use one in the pew in front of you, and it's on page 900. Nice round number, page 900. I invite you to hear these words, and even though you probably have heard them before, just hear them afresh. Start to get your, the wheels of your mind and your heart turning as you hear the word of the Lord. It says, pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. This is the word of the Lord. Well, this morning, as I said, we're starting a series on the Lord's Prayer. And the Lord's Prayer is interesting to me, because as I thought about it this week, it occurred to me that I think it is both one of the most familiar elements of Christianity and yet one of the most foreign. It's familiar in the sense that it shows up everywhere. It's kind of one of those when you, when you, buy, a, when you buy a Honda Odyssey, you suddenly realize that everybody drives a Honda Odyssey thing. Like, when I started thinking about the Lord's Prayer, I just started seeing it everywhere. It shows up in movies and songs. It's quoted in books. It's said at funerals. It's been prayed by all branches of the Christian church on every continent, and it's even showed up at key historical moments, like one I came across recently was on Flight 93, before Todd Beamer and his crew tried to take the plane back. The last thing he said before the famous let's roll was the Lord's Prayer. It just, it's shot through our world and our culture So that even people who know nothing about Christianity, they know the Lord's Prayer. Many of us could probably recite it in our sleep. And yet, even though it's so familiar, it's also pretty foreign to us. Because we know the words, but we often probably don't think much about what they mean or what it is we're actually saying. At times, the prayer can feel mechanical and empty pretty but powerless and actually the words of the prayer reminded me of a desk that my father-in-law recently found at an auction my father-in-law loves to go to these estate sales and auctions look for old furniture so he's always looking for nice ones and he found this one that he was interested in this this old desk that was it looked nice you know it's nothing special but he happened to know desks like this. He had, he'd already had a similar one. And so he knew to check a little hidden compartment. And when he checked in the little hidden compartment of this desk, he found $500. It's still at auction. 
So he, he was honest and he told the guy and if you know my father-in-law, he somehow parlayed that into a really great deal on it because basically... But anyway, the point was that the auctioneer, what he thought was a beautiful but empty relic from days gone by, actually contained riches if you only knew how to open it up. And many of you may think similarly of the Lord's Prayer. It's a beautiful but empty relic from days gone by. But like the desk, this prayer contains riches for those who take the time to open it up and look inside. So we're going to spend time walking slowly through this prayer together over the next several weeks. And as I thought about, one of the things I always like to think through and usually tell you at the beginning of a new series is, why this? Why spend time in this part of the Bible? Let me give you three reasons. One from the past, one from our present, and one for the future. First, historically, the church, and I mean the church, has always focused on three primary things to teach the foundations of the faith. The Ten Commandments, the Apostles' Creed, and the Lord's Prayer. If you look at almost any catechism throughout time designed to teach the basics of the Christian faith, they will spend time explaining those three things. So for almost 20 centuries, the Lord's Prayer has been a key way the church has made disciples and passed down the faith to the next generation. So we want to learn from those who've gone before us. We don't think that we've figured out something they didn't know. We want to learn from our forebears and make the Lord's Prayer a key part of our discipleship. So that's from the past. But a second reason to spend time in the Lord's Prayer is from our present. Because the truth is that most, if not all of us, struggle to pray. I mean, I've not met a Christian who says like, you know, there's some other areas of my life that I'd really like to grow in, but prayer is an area that I feel like I've really got that down. Like, I, in fact, if you want some pointers, I could give you some. I've not met that person. We're not very good at it, if we're really honest. We're not sure how to pray exactly or what to pray for. Almost every Christian I know longs to grow in prayer. And the first disciples were no different. In Luke 11, we read these words. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished... One of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, and then we find the words of the Lord's Prayer. It's found two places in the New Testament, Luke 11 and Matthew 6, that we read earlier. And what's notable about that moment in Luke 11 is that the disciples recognized two things. First, they recognized their own need to learn how to pray. They had the self-awareness. They're they're hearing Jesus and they're thinking, man, I don't pray like that. Like, there's something in me that I I don't get this yet. I, I, I see this as good, but there's so much I don't understand. And so they recognize that even though prayer is, in one sense, natural for Christians, It's almost the most most natural thing we can do. We were created to have fellowship with God, and prayer is fellowshipping with God, so it's natural, but that doesn't mean it's easy. In the same way, it's, it's natural for people to walk, and yet all of us had to be taught how to walk. The second thing the disciples recognize is that if they need to learn this, the best one to teach them is Jesus. 
I mean, no one spoke to God more or enjoyed closer intimacy with God or saw more powerful answers to prayer than Jesus. If anyone can teach us how to talk to God, surely it's the Son of God himself. And this morning, I just want us to think, aren't we just like the disciples? I mean, don't you recognize your own weakness and inadequacy in prayer? Don't you want to learn to pray? And who better to teach us than the Lord himself? Jesus still teaches his disciples to pray, and the way he teaches hasn't changed. So as we look at how he taught them to pray, we're trusting him to teach us how to pray as well. So we're studying the Lord's Prayer because of its importance in the past, our need to learn in the present, and because of how it shapes our trust and our hope for the future. Because much of prayer is future-oriented, right? It's when we ask God for something, we're saying, from this moment forward, do something. Yes, yes, we thank him for things he's done in the past, but most of what we think of as prayer is future-oriented. And part of what the Lord's Prayer is meant to do is shape and fashion our desires for what that future will hold. We're always asking God to do something about the future, to make it a certain way, bring certain things about. And the Lord's Prayer says, okay, here's what those things should be. Here's, it's forming our hearts. Now, we need to be clear right up front the Lord's Prayer is not some magical incantation. There's nothing, you can put this on your walls, you can say this four times a day. There's, it's not a spell where you say the right words and poof, all good things come about for you. That's not how it works. It must be prayed in faith. You must know this God to whom we pray. You must believe that he is who this prayer declares him to be and that he is able to do what this prayer asks him to do. Without faith, this prayer really is simply a pretty but empty relic. But what this prayer is intended to be is a desk with drawers for us to fill up with our prayers. Or you can think of it, it's a rack meant to give us hooks to hang our prayers on. It's in no way meant to limit our prayers. Some people look at this and say, is that the only things we're allowed to pray for? No, you don't understand it then. It's not a limiter it's an organizer. It's a shaper. It's a former saying, each of these has a, they're in blue with a line under it. Which on your computer, what does that mean? Click on it. And something's going to happen, right? You click on anything in this prayer and it opens up worlds of things for you to pray for. So what we're going to do, actually let me step back a second. There, in the prayer, speaking of organization, there is a helpful structure. Now, I didn't see this as a early on, but it's very helpful once you see it. In the prayer, it begins with an address telling us who it is we pray to, our Father in heaven. And then there are usually counted as six petitions or six requests, and they're divided evenly. The first three focus on God and his glory, and then the second three focus on us and our needs. And there's there's a very intentional ordering to that. Because as we're going to see throughout the prayer, it's meant, like I said, to shape and fashion our hearts. And so it's reminding us, hey, he's first, not you. He's supreme, not you. And so even in the way Jesus teaches us to pray, we're seeing that. Now, you don't see it up here, but there is the traditional ending, right? 
For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Most of us learned that. Now, you probably have a note in your Bibles even commenting on that, saying that while that is found in later manuscripts of the Bible, it probably wasn't part of the original prayer. But for our series, I'm just telling you now, we are going to include it at the end because while those words may not be found in Matthew 6 or Luke 11, the concepts are shot through the scriptures. And so what I want to do is I want to help help you think about those so that when we're praying the Lord's Prayer together, I want to fill up that desk drawer. When you say, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever, I want to fill up that desk drawer with as much meaning and significance as we can so that when you say that, your heart is bursting with biblical truth about those ideas. So that's where we're going to go in this series. This is not a a section of scripture that we're going to sprint through it. We're not even going to jog through it. We are going to walk, stroll. Like we're, we're walking through the woods and we're looking at every little stump and bird and leaf. We want to take in everything as we walk so that we know our way through this prayer. And every word sparks an explosion of connections on how to pray and how to worship. That's where we're going. Are you ready? I'm going even if you're not, but I hope you're ready. So this morning we're going to kick things off by looking at who it is we pray to. Before we get into all this stuff that we're asking God, who are we talking to? That's pretty, pretty significant, is it not? And it's massively important because how we think about the God we pray to shapes the way we pray. It just does. Whether you have consciously thought that or not, the way you view God shapes the way you pray to God. And J.I. Packer said it this way. He said, The vitality, the, the life of prayer lies largely in the vision of God that prompts it. Drab thoughts of God make prayer dull. Just pause there for a second. Perhaps that's part of our struggle. Maybe part of why prayer is dull is because we have drab thoughts of God. He goes on to say, the mark of great prayers is that they express a great awareness of a great God. So who is it that we pray to? Our Father who art in heaven. That's all we're going to talk about this morning. Our Father who art in heaven. And in that little phrase, there's two glorious realities. We see that God is both good to us as our Father, and he is great as the one who reigns in the heavens. He is kind and he is king. God cares to answer our prayers and God can answer our prayers. And when we know that and believe that, we pray differently. And that's our hope. So let's look at each of those concepts a little closer this morning. First, the God we pray to is our Father. I found it fascinating that one theologian researched how the Jews, he, he was thinking about this prayer, and he, he did some research. He wanted to see, okay, how did the Jews in the Old Testament, and even up through the New Testament time and beyond, how did they pray? Could I, could I find examples where they called God Father? And interestingly, this theologian could find no evidence of Jews addressing God as Father 
until about 900 years after Jesus lived. They just, you just didn't do that. You would never presume to have that kind of intimacy or relationship with God as a Jew. But what he else he found was that, that it was interesting that whenever Jesus prays in the New Testament, in every prayer but one, he addresses God as Father. So the Jews never did it. No, we have no evidence to support that. And yet when we have the New Testament, almost every time Jesus prays, he addresses God as Father. And then when he teaches his disciples to pray, and says, here's what you call him. You call him our father. This was radical. Like, we just say it, like, not, most of us don't even think about it. It's just our father. Like, the first time, if you would have been in a group and heard somebody say that, you would have been like, what did he just say? Like, you wouldn't have been able to focus on the rest of the prayer because you're like, this is scandalous. This guy dares to call Jesus father? Or dares to call God Father? Jesus is transforming prayer as he's teaching us here. What he's telling us is that the one we come to is not just some nameless, faceless, customer service hotline. Right? When you call, this is sometimes how I think we tend to fall into the rut of thinking about prayer. We think of it as a customer service hotline. So where we call, A, we're not even sure we're going to get through. Maybe they'll pick up, maybe they won't. And then even if we do get through, the people on the line, they don't know us. They don't understand our situation. It's so impossible to explain to them what's wrong or what's going on. And then most of the time, it doesn't exactly seem like they care about what's going on. Then even if they care, they probably won't be able to fix the problem. And at the end of it all, it's simply going to be a lot of time we spent on the phone with nothing to show for it. And sadly, I think that, that hits a little too close to home for how we can start to think about prayer. But Jesus is assuring us right out of the gate that is not what we come to. When we pray, we come to our Father, one who knows us and loves us, one who's eager to help, one who won't pass us along to another representative, but who will attentively listen and will always give us what is best. It is, it is jaw-dropping, friends, that we get to talk not to some low-level, newly hired representative. We get to talk to the supervisor of the universe. Like, he doesn't just say, okay, well, if your request rises through the ranks and you put up enough fuss, eventually I'll listen to you. He says right out of the gate, what's going on? What do you need? How can I help you? He's our father. And I want to say, we're going to spend a lot more time talking about why it's so good that we can come to God as our Father. But first we need to talk about who is it that can rightly call God this? And how is that possible? Because not everyone can pray this prayer. Yes, anyone can say those words. But not everyone can say, in reality, our Father. This is a point that often gets confused both in the church and outside the church. Many people would say that God is the father of every person, every human being. Now, if by that you simply mean that God is the creator of everyone, yes. They might point you to Acts 17, where Paul quotes from one of the pagan poets saying, we are indeed his offspring. Sure, in that sense, we are all, God is the father of us all. 
But every time the Bible talks about God as father in the sense of a parent-child relationship, of there being a meaningful connection, of him acting fatherly and, and having a unique love for us, it's very clear that, the, that God is not the father of everyone. In fact, in John 8, when some Jews were kind of going head to head with Jesus, listen to what Jesus tells them in John 8. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me, for I came from God and I'm here. You are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. Now that's heavy, because Jesus is saying not only is God not their father, he's saying you have a father and it's the devil. Now, the really heavy part is that's how we all start off. These weren't some especially heinous Jews. These weren't some really bad people that Jesus is singling out. That's kind of the default setting for humanity. We are all by nature children of wrath, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, who is the devil. We just do whatever we please with nary a thought to God. It's just, I'm living for me, for my, my kingdom and my glory and my will be done. That's how all of us start off. So that leads us to this, there's this tension of, okay, how can I pray this then? If that's where I start off with, my father's the devil. And he says, if you were, if you were God's son, you would love him. Okay, but I don't by nature. So how do, how do I get from there to there? How do I pray this? Only through Jesus. As Phil prayed earlier, John 1.12 says, But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. That is the only way. It says only those who turn from their sin and put their trust in Jesus are given the right to become children of God. That's the only way. There is no concept in the Bible of the universal fatherhood of God, the universal brotherhood of man. Those are man-made inventions to try to make us all feel one. But the Bible says God is the Father. He gives the right to become children of God to any who believe in the name of his Son. In fact, that's why God sent his Son. To create a family of sons and daughters who can call God our Father. Listen to what the scripture says. Ephesians 1. In love, he, the Father, predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ. So he's got this plan. He says, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to create a family in my son. He's going to be the means by which many sons will be brought to glory. Galatians 4.4. 4. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law. Why? So that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. We can pray that because Jesus came and because the Spirit was put into your hearts. That's the only way we can pray our Father is because we have the Spirit of God in us crying out, Abba! 
You can't pray that prayer without that spirit and without that sacrifice of Jesus on your behalf. Romans 8, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Friends, it's through Jesus' life, death, resurrection, and ascension that we have been adopted by God as his very own children. This is stunning. And it's one of those truths that is so familiar that it like it loses its punch. Like the first time it lands on you, you're like, what? But then over time, you're like, yeah, I know. It's, it's just not, it's, it doesn't make your jaw drop. It doesn't make your eyes get big. But it should every time. We belong to God. He has put his name on us. He's changed our last name. The papers are signed. It's official. He's now our dad. We're in his family forever. This is stunning. So the first thing we got to wrestle with is, can you call God your father this morning? You don't need to learn about prayer. If, that, if you can't say our father, none of the rest of it matters, friends. Because that's who he's listening. He's listening. It's a father listening to his kids. Listening to his children. And so, are you his child? If not, you can be. There's no hoops you got to jump through. There's no class you got to take. No, no aisle you got to walk. Card you got to sign. Hand you got to raise. You just need to believe in his name. To turn from your sin and trust in the Son of God and saying, only Jesus in my place can make God my father. But what does that mean? What does it mean that God is our father? What are some of the implications of that reality. I just, I want you to hear a few. We're just scratching the surface here, but I want your hearts to be encouraged this morning. I'm going to give you, a, I think, five. Because God is our Father, number one, we are deeply loved. We are so loved, friends. 1 John 3 says, See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. And so we are. That's John saying the same thing. He's saying, can you believe it? Look how much God loves us, that he made us his children. Now, as a dad, I love my girls more than I thought possible. And yet, on my best days, my love for them is this little spark compared to the blazing sun of God's love for us. We know, I think, I think we struggle to connect. We know that Jesus is God's beloved son in whom he is well pleased. We're like, yeah, that, that computes. We have a little more trouble with ourselves, but friends, don't you see that when we are united to Jesus by faith, we are in him so that God says of us, you are my beloved child with whom I am well pleased. Jesus prayed in John 17 that the same love the Father has for the Son would be in us. We are loved with the same love that the Father loves Jesus. Wrap your minds around that. The love of a father for his child. Second, because God is our Father, we are assured of his readiness to hear us when we pray. Dads are always ready to hear their kids. When we pray, we are always welcome. God is always ready to listen. 
we're never interrupting him. He'll never say, I, I got, I'm in the middle of something. Can you come back in a little bit? He'll never ignore us. He's never looking at his phone, half listening to us. He, he waits to be gracious to us. He's proverbially sitting by the phone, so to speak. And like as soon as it like makes the first ding of like, yeah, what do you need? Like he, he, he can't pick it up fast enough. Like God is so ready to hear you. In Isaiah 65, he says, before they call, I will answer. While they are yet speaking, I will hear. He's like, you guys don't get it. Like, I can't wait to hear from you. Whatever's on your heart, whatever's on your mind, he's like, because he's our father, God will always hear us. Third, because God is our father, God's heart is filled with compassion toward us. Psalm 103 said in our call to worship, as a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. God's heart toward us, friends, is overflowing with mercy and compassion. He is kind and gentle and tender toward us. Even when we sin, even when we struggle, even when we fail, he doesn't abandon us. Instead, his heart is moved to compassion. In Hosea 11, God says, he starts the chapter by saying, when Israel was a child, I loved him. Out of Egypt, I called my son. And there's this beautiful picture. It goes on. God talks about, I'm the one that taught him to walk. And he's just this beautiful picture of God as father. But then what happens when Israel's rebellious? When Israel is obstinate and just will not listen? Listen to how God talks to them. He says, how can I give you up, O Ephraim? How can I hand you over, O Israel? My heart recoils within me. My compassion grows warm and tender. That is the father we pray to. He is not some vindictive judge looking to, looking to catch you. He says, oh, how could I ever give you up? Like my heart recoils. My compassion grows warm and tender within me. That is the father. Fourth, because God is our father, we are heirs. We are heirs. Romans 8, the spirit himself bears witness with our spirit. That we are children of God. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. We talked about this a lot in Hebrews. So I'm not going to belabor it. But if, if God has made us heirs, we know that he desires and even intends to give us all he has. Right? Isn't that what you do when you, when you name an heir? When you put that name in your will? Your intent is... Your desire is that your stuff would go to them. Otherwise, you don't put them in your will. <laughs> but God has said, you're my heirs. So we know his heart. We know his desire is for us to have. So we can boldly ask him to provide what we need because he's already declared his willingness to share everything with us. He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Not only that, because God is our Father, He knows what we need. He knows what we need. In fact, the verse right before the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6, 8 says, Your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. We don't pray to inform God of our needs. 
He's not waiting to see like, oh, okay, let me, let me get right on that. I, I wasn't aware that I can get that for you. He knows. In fact, he knows better than we do what we need. He knows which of the things that we think we need would actually not be for our good. And he knows the things we need that never enter our minds to ask for. Because he's our father, he knows what we need. And last, even better, because God is our father, he loves to give what we need. Matthew 7. If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Friends, God is not some stingy Scrooge hoarding his goodness, reluctant to share. And when you pray, he begrudgingly says, all right, here's here's a little bit for you. That's not him. He's a generous father who delights in lavishing good gifts on his kids with a smile on his face. This is the God we come to. So isn't it good? Isn't it glorious that we come to God as our Father. Now, I need to mention that for some of us, the thought that God is our Father might, might be a troubling concept because of what your earthly father has been like. Maybe your father was distant. Maybe your father never told you that he loved you. Maybe he was absent or mean. Maybe he abandoned you. Maybe he even abused you. Friends, the good news is that no matter what your earthly father was like, in Christ, you can have a father who is good and kind and loving and strong. A father who is free from all limitations and inadequacies and flaws. As Matthew 5.48 says, your heavenly father is perfect. So if your earthly father is great, awesome. Be excited because at his best, your earthly father is merely a faint reflection of how good your heavenly father is. But if your earthly father wasn't so great, take heart. Because in Jesus, you have a heavenly father who will never let you go and never let you down. He is the father we all long for. Okay, now I've spent most of our time talking about that word father. But we need to make sure that we don't overlook the word that comes before it. When we pray, we don't come to God simply as my father, but as our father. Though we often think of these words in the prayer in relation to ourselves, the prayer is not actually a personal prayer. It's a prayer of the people and for the people. Look at the words. You won't find any me's or I's. Instead, we pray to our Father. We ask God to give us this day our daily bread and forgive us and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And keep in mind, this is how Jesus is teaching us to pray. He says, you want to know how to pray? It's collective. Now, I'm not saying you can't pray personal prayers. But Jesus is shaping us a certain way. From the very first word of the prayer, he's reminding us that we belong to a new family. That we are brothers and sisters who share one father. Our father. 
And when we pray, we are to look beyond our own private needs and pray for the needs of our fellow family members, for their provision, for their pardon, and for their protection. We are to pray with our family so that when we say, Our Father, it's our prayer. Not just so that I'm always by myself speaking about a group, but that we as a group are saying, Our Father. And we're going to keep coming back to this idea throughout the series because it's a big part of how Jesus is reorienting our prayers by reminding us that we pray with one another and for one another as the family of God. Finally then, we come to the last part of the prayer's address. Our Father in heaven or our Father who art in heaven. This phrase helps bring balance, so to speak, to the prayer. And it rounds out our view of the God we're praying to. It keeps our prayers from becoming too familiar, too casual. I've I've been in groups where people pray just a little bit too relaxed. You probably heard them. The prayers that start off, Hey God, what's up? Hey, hey dad. Like, I, I get the spirit behind it, but that is not how Jesus teaches us to pray. Jesus doesn't pray that way, and he's the one and only Son of God in a unique way. So if he doesn't pray that way, I really question whether we should take such liberties to be so casual and cavalier in our approach to the Almighty. Because while addressing God as our Father reminds us of God's nearness and goodness toward us, addressing him as the one who is in heaven reminds us of his majesty and power and greatness. Because remember, he's not just kind, he's king. Remember that Packer quote that said, drab thoughts of God make prayer dull? Well, the fact that we pray to the one who's in heaven is meant to shake our thoughts out of small, drab thoughts we have of God and flood our hearts with awe and wonder that the one we're talking to is the one whose throne is in the heavens. He is in the heavens and he does all that he pleases. He who sits in the heaven laughs at every attempt to oppose his king or thwart his good purposes. He rules and reigns over all things from the throne of heaven as the absolute sovereign one. So when we pray to our Father who art in heaven, we come not only to a Father who desires to give good gifts, but to a king who has the power and authority to do so. As you've heard me quote many times, From John Newton, Thou art coming to a king, large petitions with thee bring, for his grace and power are such that none can ever ask too much. Friends, our God is unlimited in what he can do for you. Do you know that? God can't just do a lot for you. God can do anything for you. Do you have massively big problems? Take them to a massively big God. Do you have needs that feel impossible to meet? Take them to a God for whom nothing is impossible. Do you have longings and desires that the longer you live and the longer they go unsatisfied, you realize that there's nothing in this world that can satisfy them? Take them to the God who sits not in this world, but in the heavens. 
He doesn't just have the readiness to answer you, friends. He has the resources to answer you. And nothing is impossible with our Father who art in heaven. Friends, this, this is who we come to pray to. We haven't even gotten into what we ask him, but we just need to stop and say, this is who we pray to. We come to a faithful father, full of compassion for his children. And we come to a king, full of mercy for his people. He stands ready to provide all that we need. And so maybe the first step in revitalizing our prayer lives is simply to pause and remember who it is we're praying to. I'd encourage you, see what happens to your prayers this week. If instead of just rushing into your, your grocery list, saying, God, I need some of this. Can you pick up some of that? Can you drop off some of that? And then later, instead of just doing that, pause and remember and ponder what it means when we say, our Father who art in heaven. And one of the things we're going to do throughout this series as a way of helping these trees get down in our bones is we're going to say the Lord's Prayer together. It's kind of why Jesus taught it to us, right? And so if you want to go ahead and put that up, we'll pray this, and then at the end, I will close this in another prayer. So let's pray this together. Ready? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Father, that is our prayer. We want to grow in knowing what this prayer means and letting it shape the way we talk to you. So would you use our time and your word to that end? Would you help us this week remember afresh who it is we pray to? Help us to both be drawn in by your goodness, the fact that you're our Father, and amaze us afresh at your greatness, that you are the one who is in the heavens. God, help us learn to pray. Even now, God, as we sing this last song, receive it as praise from a grateful people who are glad to be adopted and glad that we have a God who is willing to teach us how to pray. So we ask all these things in Jesus' name. And God's people said, amen.